What's interesting is I'll run across people that their spouse or partner is not involved in the business and the partner knows nothing, like nothing. All they know is there's a X amount of paycheck that comes in and they got to take care of the kids and they got to take care of the house and all of that. I think that's a mistake. Women have an intuition that men don't have. Yeah. They have this radar that they can pick up sometimes and they go, listen, I don't know what's wrong, but I'm telling you there's something wrong here. And she was able for us to do some preemptive strikes from some things that she's seen that I did. Have you ever felt like there's a secret club of successful contractors and you're left outside? Want in? Well, you just found the entry door. Welcome to the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. Each episode, we pull back the curtain, revealing the stories, strategies, and secrets that top leaders use to grow their home improvement business and enjoy more success, more wealth, and more freedom. Discover more at thewealthycontractor.com. Now let's get into today's episode. All right, everybody. Gordon Fairbanks is back. The last podcast episode I did with him We had so much unfinished stuff that we could have kept going for hours. So I said, hey, Gordon, let's schedule another follow-up podcast. So here we are. Gordon's back. This is like one of the quickest turnarounds I've ever ever done on the podcast. I appreciate that. But you have so much good stuff. I mean, you started with nothing. You worked your ass off. You built a pretty sizable business. And as humble as you are... I mean, you are, you know, what we talk about here at The Wealthy Contractors, success, we talk about wealth, and we talk about freedom. And you are a man that has all three of those in in spades. And you also have the ability to talk about it because it didn't come easy for you, just like for me, it did not come easy. And so we left some a few topics that we wanted to address last time and some of my notes And so we're going to pick up on that today for the listener. So welcome back. Thanks for being here. Thank you. It was fun doing it last time. I got a lot of feedback from people that, you know, oh, my God, I heard you. And and again, to me, I think it's very basic and simple, but, you know, that's just who I am. Yeah. So just to remind everybody, so Gordon has been in the home improvement game for 1980. Yeah, more years just, than we we want to admit, <laughs> and um, grew a very like one of the most successful companies in the country. Had an amazing exit. Basically, never has to work a day in his life again. But now, what he does is he helps through Dave Yoho Associates. He helps contractors learn some of the lessons that it took him a long time to learn and hopefully impart wisdom. And that's just what we do here is if we can help, I think Gordon and I are both kind of on the same, Mm. uh, we think the same way about this is if we can help you do something faster and easier without as much stress and without as much anxiety, you know, faster than we did it and not have to go through the pain that we went through. I think that we will have accomplished what we've, set out to accomplish. Absolutely. You know, Brian, I think what you said is absolutely right. You know, I don't regret too many things. I wish you and I had communicated more directly with each other instead of working through our counterparts in the businesses, because I do agree there's such similarities to our backgrounds in that, that at the end of the day, 
we were just determined that we were going to succeed. And much like me, I didn't know what that looked like. I mean, I was an installer and I made awfully good money doing that. But at some point I realized physically the diminishing returns were going to kick in. And quite frankly, if you're up in South Dakota, you know, in the wintertime, it's brutal. If you're here in the summertime in Florida, it's brutal. And it's just, you know, again, you can't do it. But but we moved into the avenue of owning. And we talked about last time about getting the right people on the bus starting out with, you know, hiring the best of the worst because that's all you can afford and trying to develop them to the next level to where you could get a little bit better. And I think we kind of left off where we had a lot of those people in place and, you know, we'll follow your lead, but, you know. Well, what, okay, what but wait, way? let's start with, let's start with the best hire you ever made. In 2000. What is her name? Yeah, Elizabeth. <laughs> Elizabeth. Elizabeth Fairbanks. Okay. Yep. Her and I have been married since 1986. I started the business in 90. In 2000, she came down. She had been working for the local newspaper, which was a New York Times company. So it had great benefits and paid very well. And she ran the call center for solicitations where they were selling subscriptions. And then Everything was changing in that, and she was tired of the corporate game, and so she came on board and and took over marketing. But the plus that she added was the softer side of the part that, you know, again, at the end of the day, it's not that I didn't care. I was just too mission-oriented. I had something to do, and I was going to get it done. I used to tell people, now, if you're laying in the hall bleeding, I'll come back, but I got to go finish what I'm heading to do. I'll come back, but but I was too mission-oriented, and she brought that softer side and really took some of the burden off the marketing side and the call center that we had in place. And and, uh, yeah, she was definitely one of the best hires we had. Did it take a lot of convincing? No, she was tired of it. And she had been down to the business and knew the people. And we were kind of at that point where, you know, the office manager, you were really hitting the tip of what her skill sets were. The role was outgrowing her ability. And, you know, Elizabeth came down at the right time and was able to fill some of those things. And, you know, quite frankly, because I was in it every day and she was new, she seen things I didn't see. And we were able yeah. to, you know, some people that needed to be pushed out got pushed out and we brought better people on. And she started with marketing. And mm-hmm. did she stay there or did she move around? Ultimately, she was what we gave title-wise the VP of marketing. But marketing was her. She branched out and began to hit publications. And and now we met every week. We went over. We did everything by the numbers, okay? You know, we had 25 unique numbers or 30, whatever. So every ad we placed, you could measure the response rate. So we were getting accurate data to know what to do. And we had to take it again. She had to come in and learn it. You know, uh, when we were in staff meetings, the joke was always this, because I own 51%. Oh, okay. He's five holding one. up 50, uh, five, five one. one. Yeah. Let me, let me do it on the camera. Is that better? Five one. Yeah. You know? I'm so, just telling so, the people that aren't don't see this, that are so, listening. So, so I own here. 51%. And, yeah. you know, again, why That's a great I deal. I wasn't able to make that deal, but go on. I don't know why we did that when we set it up again. I really didn't anticipate it becoming anything more than, you know, a, a little mom and pop shop that, you know, I, I had no idea. But but the end of the day, I did know this. You know, when I was an installer and we'd be on big things and we'd team up, you know, 
sometimes I was lead, sometimes another guy that I had a lot of respect for that eventually became my production manager, he would be lead. But I knew somebody had to be in charge. And at that point with that number, I was the one in charge. Now, make no mistake, when we came home, you know, yeah, 51%, she's more like 99%. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, it's but, interesting. But- my Addie, my, my business partner, she came in because... I mean, really shit started to hit the fan and I needed help. Mm-hmm. And so she started to come to the office when we had the home improvement business and she was, you know, she was doing marketing. She was doing the relationship marketing stuff. That's kind of the ideas for G4 came out of some of the things that she did in okay. our own business. But what, what was really interesting to see in her was how she developed over time. So she started, it was probably like, oh, God, when really the shit started to hit the fan, it was like, oh, six, oh, seven, when things should have been going good, they were not because of the all the dumb decisions I made. Oh, I guess. Yeah. So she's like, well, I got to go in and I got to help. And then when we exited that and we started G4, I mean, I kind of sold her on this vision and she liked the idea, but when she came in, she went to work, but. And I couldn't have done it without her. I mean, there's no way I could have done it without her. But I see lots of husband and wife teams in the industry. Some of them work really, really well together, at least the ones I know. There's probably ones out there that are struggling and that are hard. But, you know, one thing that I know about, about what happened with us, at least in our development over time, was those first, I would say those probably those first five or six years, we struggled for who was 51. We struggled. And whose job is what? Who's going to do what? And when we figured that out, when we figured that out, who she is in the business and who I am in the business, and this goes for any partnership, I think. Absolutely. uh, That changed everything. And then like you said, to the numbers, to the numbers. It was all about hitting hitting the numbers. We knew our numbers. We knew the numbers we had to hit. And when we understood our roles, that happened. Now, the other thing, too, that's really interesting about her is how her confidence grew in herself and in her abilities Yes, to the point where she was really the one. I mean, when we sold the, the majority of the business this year, I mean, really, most of the work that was done to create a business that somebody would actually want to pay for in terms of operationally, customer experience, team, culture, that was all her. I was finance. I was kind of sales, marketing. But really, she was the one that, ran things and she developed the team. And so it's really, you know, having a great partner really is a huge good thing. I mean, we did the same thing. It took us probably a year to get clearly defined on whose role was what. And before she came on board, we had established a ground rule that when we left, we left. Meaning we left the business and went home. We didn't talk about the business. Yeah. Not easy for a woman. A man comes home and says, how, she says, how was your day? It was a day. 
you come home and you ask your wife how her day at work and she'll tell you that Mary had the same shoes on and and, and Sally has a dress just like mine that I'll never wear now. And you're going to get the blow by blow and details. And she'd come home and want to talk and I'd have to say no. And we had some, you know, definitely some struggles there in the beginning. We did too. But you know what? As time went on, we learned to know what we needed to talk about at home. And it gave a different perspective. So regardless of whether it's working with your spouse or a partner, like you said, clear definition of what the roles are and what that looks like is a must, you know. And again, I have worked with quite a few husband and wife. I mean, more more out there now than I I recall when I was in business. And it challenged. So again, it's one of those things I think it boils down to how strong your relationship is because if it's got any weaknesses, this is going to expose it. And, oh, yeah. and, and, and you don't, I used to say this, you know, very few times we get into a disagreement in our staff meetings where she was very strongly opinionated on something I was too. And I used to say that the kids didn't like to see mom and dad fight. Okay. So we learned how to take that out of the office too. And don't get me wrong. There were certainly some times that she was very opinionated and so was I. But we learn how to temper that and take it out of the office or into another room where we could talk apart from everybody. Because a small business, now, if you got multiple locations and you're detached from them, you, you don't have this culture. But a small business becomes a family. You spend more time with those people and they spend more time with you than they do their own family. That's and true. you become this figure to them that you need to be very conscious of of, of the role that you play in their life. Yeah. And, and, and she brought that softer side to me. I used to like to say I ran a benevolent dictatorship, you know, uh, and, 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 and she would. And she was the benevolent part. She was the benevolent. And my people would come to her and they'd say, hey, I want to go talk to them about X, Y, Z. And she'd say, you better have your numbers together. You got all your facts? Because. I could quickly pick something, you know, because you could spin around a day. If you don't, if you don't have the ability to do this or pull up a report and say, I don't know what you're looking at because here's the numbers, yeah. you know, you need to figure out how to get that. And so when people brought things to me, it was already well thought through. It was strategic. They had the data that said for you to say no is just because your ego is involved. Yeah. So, so so she brought that side to the equation, and I didn't add this in the beginning. We met by working at a uh, a siding joint, a 10-man operation, and she worked in the side that did carpeting in that. And so she had experience running a small home improvement company where we learned a lot of what not to do, Yeah, more so than we learned what to do. But she had done had experience in working with the sales team and people like that. So she came with a little bit of understanding. And then working for the New York Times certainly gave her a much deeper fundamental of, of what marketing was and the call center. Yeah. You know, something that's interesting as we're talking about this, you know, you and I were very blessed and, and um, fortunate that we have such good partners. And one of the things that's interesting, so you know, when you get on the same page and you're working towards the same thing, you know, your mindset guy like I am. And I think that that accelerates things. I think it makes it, I think it helps you get there faster. And what's interesting is I'll run across people that their spouse or partner is not involved in the business. And the 
partner knows nothing, like nothing. All they know is there's a X amount of paycheck that comes in and they got to take care of the kids and they got to take care of the house and all of that. And I think that that is, I think that's a mistake. I think you got to get your partner involved when you're in small business. It's not like you just have a regular job out there and you work for this big company and you get a paycheck. No, your paycheck depends on a lot of variables that are almost entirely up to you. And it's not like you've got all these other people that are working at the New York Times to get enough money in the bank to be able to make sure your payroll check goes through. That's on you to make happen. An extreme example of this was I had uh, this guy that's come to our events and stuff, and we end up on the phone. This was, I don't know, last year sometime. And this guy borrowed a whole bunch of money, like a million bucks. And I, for, for all the time he's been in our world, we've talked about structured selling system. We've talked all about the, the typical, here's the stuff that makes this business successful. He came to events. He was introduced to all of the same resources that everybody else was. This guy would not execute and implement. He listened to his two employees and they struggled. And they struggled so bad that this guy went into debt a million dollars. So we're having this conversation. I'm like, how am I going to get this guy to understand he needs to do something or he's done? He's finished. So I said to him, I go, how much does your wife know about what's going on in the business? Oh, she doesn't know what's going on. I'm like, uh, don't you think maybe she ought to know what you know what's going on with your finances that you just mortgaged the house? Well, you know she she takes care of it. I go. I said to him, the, 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 and I'll stop here because this was right between the eyes. I said, so how are you going to go home and tell her that you just lost the house and that she's going to have to move into an apartment? I asked him, how much does she like the house that you guys live? In? Oh, she loves our house. Great. How is she going to react when you go home and tell her, honey, we're the house is in foreclosure. We're going to have to move to an apartment. How is she going to handle that? The guy had no answer. The guy had no answer. And it's like, how do you not get your partner involved? That's an extreme example. If you can't be honest with the person you chose as your life partner. Yeah. You're not going to be honest with the people you work with every day because that is what it boils down to is honesty and be having the intent because that's just simply pride of trying to keep a facade, uh, an image in place in that, you know? So again, I absolutely agree with you. We'll be 37 years here in December. Okay. So we've been together Mm -hmm. a long time and there's been some situations always my fault. Okay. Because I've been very strong-willed and, and 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 sometimes just, you know, was an ass. But having that spouse in the – women have an intuition that men don't have. Yeah, They have this radar that they can pick up sometimes and they go, listen, I don't know what's wrong, but I'm telling you there's something wrong here. And she was able for us to do some preemptive strikes from some things that she's seen that I didn't. And we would be prepared when somebody was because people before they leave, they check out, you know, and she would pick up on these things. Like, have you noticed that, you know, his pictures are out of his office 
you know, and, and some little things like that. So, so again, having that person you can trust in there is huge in that. But at the end of the day, it is all about if you can't get that person to be on board with you, you're going to struggle to get the rest of the team on board with you. I do that four numbers exercise thing where it's like, okay, let's figure out how much money you want to make to live your ideal lifestyle. Right. And so it's a whole different way of thinking about the business. I I just was at top 500 last week and my presentation was on this. Let's begin with the end in mind. And this exercise as simple and dumb as, well, I say it's dumb. I don't think it's dumb. I think it's very powerful, but it's as simple as this exercise is. If you do it, And you understand, well, wait a minute, in order for me to live the life that I want to live and live in the house where I want to live and put away the money I need to put away for the future, I got to make this amount of money. And then it's like, they don't talk to anybody else about it. It's like, okay, I want to make whatever, $500,000 a year. Well, who have you talked to about it? Nobody knows about it. Okay. Well, maybe you've gone to your business and said, okay, well, we need to do $10 million this year, whatever the number is, who cares? But Do you go home and talk to your spouse, your partner about, honey, I've I've set this goal for the business, but let's do this exercise together. Let's dream about our life together. Mm -hmm. We, I think as men, we like, like you were saying is we take command and we say, well, this is what I want to do. This is where I see us going because I'm the man. What we don't realize is that that partner, and for for those of us that are lucky to be married to amazing women, I think most women are absolutely amazing. They just haven't, some of them just haven't found out how amazing they are yet. I agree with that. Somebody hasn't made them feel as amazing as they really are. And when you get your spouse involved and you guys are headed in the same direction, even if she's at home, It's so powerful because now you got two heads working and their heads are much more powerful than ours because they don't see all, they don't have all the insecurities. They have their own insecurities, but they don't have all the same insecurities we do. Like you said, all the problems that we've had in our 25 years, probably because of me. Yeah. And if I don't admit that, by the way, that's why I'm married 25 years. That's why you're married 37 years, because you'll admit it. You'll say it's yeah. all because of me. If, if you can't do that with your spouse, then you're yeah. not going to do it with your coworkers. Okay. Yeah. Make no mistake. I never called them employees. They were coworkers because they had to do their job just like I had to do mine. And if you can't be honest with your spouse, you're not going to. Now, listen, not every spouse is going to be cut out to come on board in that. If you are what we would call a small business, in other words, I don't care how big your single or maybe two offices are, but you pretty much have this one location that runs everything. Why would you not want to? Because as you're well aware you know, retirement for us or, 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 you know, getting stuck because we sold in November of 19. And then a few months later, we were stuck at home because of COVID. It was seamless for us because we were already spending 24 seven together. Right. Yeah. And, and again, all those things come into play in that. But why would you not want to have that? I mean, there were times that, you know, in 1997, I had a pretty serious dirt bike accident. You know, she wasn't involved in the business. Had she been, I think some of the outcomes we had at that time of being out of work for three months probably would have been different. But again, we learned a lot of things during that time, too. So, yeah. so 
you know, I think it boils down to like you're saying, you know, did we learn from whatever happened? Sometimes good, sometimes indifferent, sometimes bad. If we learn from it, we'll take those experiences and put them together and get a vehicle that, again, is built for success. You know, the biggest error I see with a lot of people that I've worked with so far is they're just not involved. They want to tell you, go work with so-and-so. Go help my sales manager. Well, yeah. Yeah. Why do you want to do that? Because what if they leave? Or what if I tell them and they start going in that direction without any guidance and it's a little bit different than what I said? And six months later, you're going, what are you doing? Why are we doing that? Well, that's what the guy you had come in and work with me told me to do. Builder Prime is changing the game for home improvement contractors. Imagine having everything you need to help your business grow in one place. CRM, estimating marketing automation with SMS, production management software, and now call center dialer integration, all wrapped into one easy to use package. And it's never been easier to switch CRMs. Hundreds of contractors trust Builder Prime to grow their businesses with powerful reporting tools to see which leads are making money, which sales reps are the top performers, and where to optimize for the greatest impact. We're talking about winning more jobs, boosting productivity, and delighting your customers. Are you ready to fuel your business growth even faster without all the daily frustrations of your current tech stack? You owe it to yourself, your team, and your business to learn why everyone is switching over to Builder Prime, the only true does-it-all CRM for home improvement contractors. Head over to builderprime.com and request a personalized demo with an expert today. May not have been exactly what I told, but if you're not there to help them develop it, and again, I think at the end of the day, there was nothing in my business I had never done at one point except put a headset on and do cold call telemarketing. So, and the same thing for Elizabeth and the things she was involved with. She could call BS when it was time to say BS, you know? Okay, so that's really interesting what you just said, because one of the things, and I I think in the last couple of years, and maybe just because our events have gotten bigger, and maybe because more people, I'm getting more input from people, I guess, but so many people know, okay, I need, just as an example, I need to go to a structured selling system, okay? Mm-hmm which is the key to this business. You're not if you don't have a structured step selling system, you're not asking for the order at the kitchen table and offering financing, you're already you're you're screwed. I mean, you're already it's going to be very hard for you to build a business that's going to make you rich. But they'll say, "Okay, well, I'm going to do this I'm going to do the selling system, but I have my own way of doing things. I'm I'll hire somebody. I'll let them learn the system and then they can hire other people under them." And I'm like, no, you can't. Ain't going to work. You can try it, but it's not going to work. You have to learn it. You have to undo all of your bad habits. And you got to sell the next part. You got to show somebody, okay, when I run this system, word for word, scripted, choreographed this way, and I ask for the order at the end, four people out of 10 say yes. And those four people are worth X amount of dollars to me in commissions. And so now I'm bringing you on and I'm going to teach you the exact same system. You may not get four out of 10. You might get five. You might get three. But either way, here it is. And they just want to abdicate 
this responsibility to somebody else. Absolutely. It's shocking to me. It's, it's insane. Yeah. Earlier this year, I was at location and they wanted me to run a lead. I hadn't been in a house, not counting the three or four years that have been in, since I sold, but from the time I sold it, I probably hadn't been in the house in 25 years. But I ran that lead, and because that stuff was internalized, yeah, it just flowed. And, and again, I just got done running a remote sales meeting that, again, was not a part of my role, but I know that selling system. Why would I want to depend on somebody else and have them hold me hostage? That's right. You know, I need to know every, I could go into anything. And again, production, again, map grounds install. I ran my production. I did it a little bit of time, maybe 12 months for another company, but you can't believe, you're just not going to BS me. Yeah. I can see, you know, I used to say if it doesn't look right, smell right, taste right, it's probably not right. And so this isn't right. And I was able to call BS on some stuff and uncover things. You're going to create, you're, you're going to prevent things from happening that could be very bad for you. If yeah. you know what to look for in that. Absolutely. Hire, hire people that are better than you, smarter than you. But understand at the end of the day, they're accountable to you. You don't need to be, you are accountable to them. But end of the day, they're accountable to you and they need to do it the way you want and produce the outcomes you're looking for. And here's the thing, though. The only way you're going to hire people that are better than you is if they feel like I'm coming to a place that has some level of control, I think. So is there a control over a selling system? Is there any level of control over production? Is there any level? Or is it just kind of like chaos? This person is, I don't know what they're doing, but they're kind of getting it done. And I don't know how much our lead costs are. I know I'm spending $10,000 a month. I don't know what this lead source is, but I want to go hire somebody to go fix all of this. I call it a savior you're out of your mind. No, that person does not want to come and work for your company because they can smell bullshit a mile away. I just had dinner with somebody who says, you know what? I just need to, I need to hire an implementer that yeah. can take all my ideas and go put them to work. Oh and yeah. I looked at it and said, well, you need to go look in the mirror because you're the one that's going to have to implement it. Don't get me wrong. My method for training was simply watch me. Let's do it together. I want you. Okay, you got it. But you have to be able to go in and say, okay, what are you doing? Why are we doing that? Because again, don't micromanage. Why have people in charge if you're going to freaking manage everything they do? But just meet with them on a regular basis. And so you can hear what they're struggling with. Because again, because I did it all, I probably made the mistake that you're heading towards. Now, don't get me wrong. I would let people make mistakes. Sometimes, you know, it might be three, four, five, six thousand dollars that I knew they were fixing to blow. But the moment I jumped in and said, don't do that, they're going to call it. They're going to go, well, I, was, I wasn't going to do that. Yeah. So sometimes you have to let them fail. Okay? I, just, yeah. I just didn't let them have train wrecks. Yeah. Okay? But how do people, how did I learn? How did you learn? Boy, I made some serious mistakes. I remember a few times when Elizabeth and I would come home and I'm going, honey, I think I killed it. I think I, I ruined the business. There, there were more times than not that I would come sometimes and really thought I made such the stupidest decision. We weren't going to recover from it. Yeah. 
but I learn from them. And that's how people learn. If they're not learning from their mistakes, replace them. You well, know? and that's the whole point of what we're, you and I are doing here. Yeah. You know, the podcast, the events, the Dave Yoho events, that all of that stuff is learn from our mistakes. <laughs> Don't make the same stupid mistakes we did. But, you know, some people still want to go out there and make their own, you know, catastrophic mistakes or the worst mistake. I think catastrophic, at least it happens and you have to deal with it. I think the worst are the ones of inaction where you basically have the same results year after year. Next year is going to be better. Next quarter will be better. Uh, three years, we're going to be a $20 million company. Well, have you figured out how to be a $2 million company yet? Have you made money on $2 million yet? And it's just like, oh, there's always later. There's always You're later. Well aware. Too many wow. people get wrapped up in that number. Yeah. So talk to me about what your bottom line profits are. I remember in the sunroom business, you know, Jacksonville and Tampa were two of the biggest dealers for the sunroom dealer network I was in, but they were doing like $10 million and I'm doing two and a half and I'm making five, six times what they're making. Yeah. No, but boy, they got the ones, they got the awards. They got to sit up there with the owner of the sunroom manufacturing company and all that. I was fine being in the back of the room because again, I could afford the suite I was in while they were staying in the regular room. Yeah. So, so yeah. don't get wrapped, you know, get wrapped up in the things that matter, you know, again, don't undervalue your people because again, some of the things I, you know what, people want to work somewhere where they feel valued and appreciated and believe that their ideas have some bearing on what's going on. If you do those two things, you know what, money's just not going to be the biggest motivator for them. Now, don't yeah. get me wrong. You got to pay them well, yeah. but you know. I found that as long as they felt valued and appreciated, you know, they would just, uh, again, it's just shocking how many people miss it and think they can be dictators. Again, key benevolent dictator, yeah. have their best interests at heart, but understand at the end of the day, somebody's got to be the one. Democracy in a business does not work. No. You, know, no. you can't put it to a vote and say, we're going to do this. Somebody's got to be the one that if it goes wrong, you know what? It's your fault. Yeah. What else are you? So you're out there, you're dealing with contractors around the country, coaching them. Mm -hmm. What else are you seeing? Like, what are some other things that people are doing right now that uh, maybe they could I, I do think something different and better? I think a lot of them are like, are like the shampoo bottle directions, lather, rinse, repeat. And they sit there and just do the same things over and over and never measure it to say, why are we not getting the results we're looking for? Why do we keep doing the same thing? Because they get in this rut and they get, you know, the biggest thing I see is complacency. Yeah. You know, because it's been easy and now it's not. And now is where all the flaws and weaknesses. But these people get complacent because they started making an amount of money or something or achieved a lifestyle, and they think it's going to last forever. And complacency to me, it's a cancer. If you don't know cancer is there, you're going to die. Yeah. Well, at least if you find it, you can fight to live. Yeah, know? we just um, recently, we're recording this in at 
towards the end of October, we released a podcast recently with Charlie Gundell, my friend Charlie. Do you know yeah, Charlie? I did. He's, yeah, he, oh, yeah. He was at the, he was at yeah. the, he was a, a he legend. The business card you could exchange and stuff, wasn't it? No, Charlie Gundell. He had an RBA. Um, oh, okay. I'm in sorry. Southern yeah. California. He yeah. just was yeah. inducted into the yeah, legends. The legends. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So we just had, we just did a podcast about and It was a conversation him and I had a few months back about this exact same thing. We call we were talking about being sloppy mm-hmm. in the business, complacency, sloppiness. They're, 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 they're same. They are the yeah. same. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of that. There's kind of a lot of that out there and it, it's going to start to hit people hard. I think when, because things are normalizing, normalizing, Already, there's talk of some companies that have gone out of business. I'm starting to hear about that. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Um, Every conversation I have, Brian, is about leads. Yeah. People's lead generation is dropping off. Yep. And my experience is, is when things slow down, boy, all your flaws and weaknesses were exposed. And I think we're going to see more of it because, again, too many people don't have a handle on any of the things that are happening in the business. They had such great cash flow coming in because, you know, you can live the lifestyle that of rich and famous if you got cash flow. Right. It's just when that faucet begins to slow well, down. You have, well, you have cash flow. It may not be in the right bucket on your balance sheet. Oh. You could have a whole bunch of customer deposits and think you're rich. Absolutely. Right? That's a big mistake we've seen. Absolutely. Brian, we're going to have a lot more casualties in this business from yeah. people. Again, we had such a great, from regardless of your position on Mr. Trump, you had 17 to 19 that were just great years. And you add in two years where the government was pumping money into people's bank accounts. We had five years of where you didn't have to be good. You just had to be in the game. Yeah. Now you got to be good. Yeah. And, and I'm sorry, a lot of them out there simply are not good. Well, and what's interesting. So here's what I was going to say. So I was at Top 500 last week. It is shocking. to Have you seen the new Top 500 list? Yeah, I did. Can you believe how uh, different it is today than it was a year before you sold your business? It's, it's shocking the size of some of these companies. Are so, they too big to fail is what I wonder, because somebody put money behind them to make it happen. You know, I mean, I wonder if they're too you big know to how, But you know how those PE companies work. They'll, if it's yes. not working, they'll pull the plug, they'll, they'll write it off, and they'll yep. move on. Yep. So we're going to see, there's going to be some ugly with the, all the PE companies. But the thing I was going to say was that guys like you, you built a 30 million was when you sold it was at 30, right? $20 million 10 years ago, seven years ago was a, was a yes, big company yes. in our industry. Yeah, You did it before this. I've talked to so many people that started in business when Trump was in office before the pandemic, they had just started 2018, 2019. And today they're doing 10 million, 12 million. Now, whether or not they're making money is a whole right. story, right. but they're pumping volume. I mean, okay. And it's shocking to me how many people have built have, I shouldn't say built, they have 10 million, 12 million, $20 million companies. They're opening other offices and they're doing all of this stuff. But they hadn't been in the business before all of this. They don't know the business. They think they know the business. And I hate to say this. And 
this may sound bad and but but it's truth but it's true okay yeah. so sorry we're all about tough love here so if you're right. listening to this and i'm describing you consider it a warning and we're only doing this because we care we're not this is not about our egos but this guy built his a 20 million dollar company super profitable by the way super profitable before all of this and never so, had a year we didn't make money and that's how it's supposed to be yes that's yeah. how to i will not i will I, not tolerate a down month let alone a down year Brian, I started in August of 90. So 91 was my first year. That was really getting your feet. In 92, we did a million. In 93, we did 2 million. 1993, yeah. and you know, I go into people that are six, $8 million, and I go, you realize in my second full year in business, I did a million. My third year, I did 2 million. Yeah. That is equivalent to what you're doing today. So don't get all excited that you've been right. in business 10 years and you make, you do $6 million. It's yeah. just not that freaking incredible. Yeah. You know, it's not paying attention to the fundamentals. And sometimes, you know what, you're just simply the best choice in that market, but somebody's going to come along and show you what the game's really about and they're going to hurt you. Yeah. You know, they're speaking of that, you know, a lot of these big companies are greenfielding offices yeah. like at a crazy clip and their process. Some of these companies have some very tight systems and, and you know, very tight systems, processes. They I think know how to make a lead. They know what a lead, every lead yeah. costs. Yeah. I think they're built to last if they can keep their arms around it. If they can keep their it, arms. Yeah. I never had multiple locations simply because of my own belief system that it took me so long to get these people in place here. My God, why do I want to go medi be mediocre somewhere else? takes a lot of time to get the right people in the right chairs. I think sometimes my uh, my standards might have been a little bit too high, but it worked for us. Well, but it goes back to what the way that you and I started this conversation yeah. was it was really all about you knew what you wanted for you and for your family. And I agree. I mean, look, you made more money on 20. I can only imagine what you, uh, and we're not going to talk about specifics, yeah. but yeah. I will be willing to bet you made more money on 20 million than most companies would make on 50, maybe even a hundred million. Yeah. Brian, when I'm working with a client or a potential new client, I like to ask one simple question. What's your quarterly tax payment? And you know what? You'd be, shocked. You'd be shocked how many times you get this look of amazement that they don't even know what a quarterly tax payment is. Yeah. That tells you everything you need to know. I yeah. mean, you know, our quarterly tax payments were, you know, two of them were as much as most people have in savings at the at the time they retire. Yeah. You know, and and if you if you're not writing big quarterly tax payments, you're not making any money. Well, and you know what's funny is that's that also is learned. Mm -hmm. Because when I was young and dumb, I prided myself on where I pay very little taxes. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm a business owner. I pay very little taxes. Well, you know why I paid very little taxes? Make any money. money. <laughs> I didn't make any money. When I started to make real money and I yeah. started writing big checks to the government, like on the one hand, it pisses you off, 
But by the way, we're lucky we live in Florida because can you imagine? I was. Oh, was it income tax? State can income you imagine tax? paying an yeah. additional thirteen percent to like that government? Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, yeah. but when you start to make big payments, yeah, it's gonna it's gonna bother you a little bit. But on the other side, it's like, whoa, wait a minute. This means I'm real. This means I'm making real money. And yeah, a, a lot of people aren't there. Point. You're going to need to go to the bank if you're going to go big and you're going to stay, you know, because we got, you know, several commercial properties now that we don't have any debt on. But at one point we had to have debt. You can't go to your banker and say, I know this is what my tax returns say, but I really make this. Right, money. right, right. You're not going to, you got to have the numbers to show. And again, if you get the opportunity that somebody's going to look at you, they don't want to hear what you say. They're going to look at the freaking numbers. Give me so your one for the last three years. You yeah, know? so so top five hundred had a had a. I mean, the whole first day was like private equity, private equity, blah, blah blah blah. But one of the things that that people wanted to know about was, well, what are some of the factors that you look at when thinking about acquiring? And that was that was that example actually came up. We're going to look at tax returns, and if you tell us, oh no, that doesn't tell the whole story, we're running. We don't want to hear it. Yeah. You know? Because again, you know, again, I was an asset sell. They didn't buy the company itself. They bought the assets, which again, smart business move on the acquiring side. Yeah. You don't assume any liability. But at the end of the day, the financial audit, that drip, that was the most grueling thing I've ever been through in my life. Ours too. Yeah. And, and in fairness to them, they asked the same question sometimes 17 different ways, which I, you know, my mind tends to click of, didn't you just ask me this five minutes ago? Yeah. But but again, in fairness to them, they're trying to uncover all those things. And too many people in the business, they, they run way too much through the business. Yeah. It's off that you're saving some money and you're paying your house payment and your utilities and all that. Sometime that's just not going to work for you, you know? Yeah. So, well, and again, it's a tough one. It's, it's one of the things that we talk about within our groups or private groups is you have to learn how to be rich. You have to learn how to yes. be successful. You have to learn how to be wealthy. You have to learn how to be free. It's not just all of a sudden, okay, my business is doing $5 million and I'm making 750,000 or $800,000 a year. Now, magically, all of a sudden, I understand how to invest properly, proper tax strategies. That doesn't just happen magically just because you made money. In fact, it actually works the opposite. If you don't learn all of those things, it doesn't matter how much you make. You ain't keeping any of it. It's going to Nobody will watch your money like you watch your money. If you're right. trusting that somebody else is taking care of I mean, I remember being somewhere and the guy came in and said, well, that's missing a million dollars. Where's that money? And the guy looked at him and go, all I do is pay your bills and bring checks in. I don't know where the money's at. And I remember thinking how stupid that question was for that owner to ask of this guy that all he was was a freaking accountant. He just put money in and took money out. You yeah. know, but again, Brian, I mean, I don't know if you went through this. I think most of us do that kind of start from nothing. When you start to get some success, you almost feel like a pretender. Like, what am I doing Dude. here? Because I'm not smart enough. I mean, how did this happen? When's somebody going to come up and go, hey, Brian, you know, you ain't smart enough. You're, you're not supposed to be here. So you have to, again, build that confidence that, yeah, I do deserve to be here. And then you start to learn those things, like you said, the discipline of living within your means and foregoing, 
you know, some of those things you want to go do. I mean, I used to teach my kids that, and I still try to get them to understand, you know, if you pay the price today, you can make choices tomorrow instead of being forced to make decisions. You know, choices are much easier, you know, and if you just pay the price and start accumulating wealth, wealth is simply, again, Every year that my tax return gets done since I've sold the business, I'm shocked at what the number I pay taxes on because I haven't even had to tap it. We were in pretty good shape. We could have probably retired before we sold the business. And since we sold, I mean, that just added to, and we just haven't had to touch any of that. And I'm yeah. shocked at how much comes in just through a little effort. Some of the things we paid a price to be able to get, some of the little things I'm able to do. Because, again, I do Dave Yoho part-time, okay? I don't want a job, and I have to be careful not letting it become a job. So it's not the income stream that I'm talking about. But if you just get to where you start sacrificing a little bit today, don't go buy the Mercedes when you can take and go ahead and buy a nice truck or a decent Camry or something. You know, don't get me wrong. You get to a point that buying that Mercedes or Lexus or whatever you want is certainly feasible. But in the beginning, don't do it because you can. Do it yeah. because it's the right thing at this point. You know, one of the things I watched in my business, I remember in 08, it was time to turn in our lease car and I turned it in and boy, I went, and this is 09, excuse me, right after the bottom had dropped out. And I was overlooking at a BMW 6 convertible and man, I was so close. I was like, geez, I've sacked, people have cut their salaries. We've had to cut people's, I shouldn't show up with this. So I went over and got a Cadillac CTS. I remember three people coming out to see what I got and going, that's what you got? Yeah. And the lesson was, they expect you to be successful. That BMW would have sent the message that we're good. The company's strong. I'm good financially. We're good. It would have gave them a little bit more security. You know, the caddy was nice in that, but it wasn't that thing that said, okay, we're in good shape. The company's good. The people want to see you be wealthy at some point. Just yeah. recognize when that point, because when you're when you're a small office with six, eight people and you're taking and going to Florida for a month and staying in your condo and you're gone two weeks here, they start looking and wondering how come they're building your this successful life. At some point, the transition, when you got enough people that they expect you to be successful, that's the point to start doing some yeah. stuff. And, be and they like they expect you to be successful and they like when you're gone. By the way, what you just were talking about reminded me of one of my favorite quotes of all time. That's what I was fumbling on my phone while you were okay. talking. So it's here, I'll read it to you, but it's it's shocking where I got it too, but it's, can you live a few years of your life like most people won't so that you can spend the rest of your life like most people can't? Yes. I. You know, my, my son just turned 28 last week. And he talks about his friends that have this and have that. And I'm going, son, you understand that everything they're doing is payments. You know, yeah. just keep sticking with it. And one day when they can't make the payments and you still have all the things you have because you own them. I mean, I was taught that, you know what, homes and that, sure, you get a mortgage. Toys, you pay cash for. Yeah. You know, if you can't afford to pay cash for the boat, don't get the boat. Now, don't yeah. get me wrong. At some point, the tax you know, may right. have some advantages to, to finance in that, but know that you could write a check and pay for that before you start spending money on toys. Yeah. Payments on toys is silly. 
you know. So, yeah. so Brian, again, I think the thing that you hit on in the beginning before we started, everything in life is a discipline. Yeah. Some people are willing to pay the price. Some aren't. And you know what? The ones that aren't help us to get to where we want to be. Because, again, again, there's nothing wrong with the people that just want to make a good paycheck and go home at the end of the day and not have any stress or strain. But, you know, we're not wired that way. We're not made that way. So that's why we're able to sit here and talk to people of that. You know, yeah. it, it, it's hard to believe. Friday, I'll be 61. You know, doesn't seem like it. Hard to believe I'm there. But boy, you know what? If you look back, you know, for me, it really is the journey. Yeah. You know? I mean, John Maxwell was somebody I think I talked about a little. He's the greatest leadership trainer I've ever read or learned from. And he just got a couple of sayings. I think I shared them last time. If you see a turtle on top of a fence post, you know he didn't get there by himself. <laughs> and if you get to the top of the mountain and nobody's with you, you're not a leader. Yeah. You know, take people on the journey. They'll appreciate that. You know, I had so many calls from people when I sold to tell me what I meant to them. And again, I think I shared this last time. To me, all I did was you had the ability. I gave you the vehicle. I showed you how to use it. And to them, that was a big thing. And to me, it was just something that was a part of what I had to do. I value those phone calls because, again, I had an impact. When you throw a stone in a pond, it makes ripples. How far do your ripples go? Yeah, that's really good. Well, look, on this, we've been going for a while here. Have we? We're not even done yet. We we haven't even hit. We haven't even. I I have to say this in all sincerity. It's amazing talking with because people that know me really well. I'm usually not much of a talker, and I don't really get into it. I say a couple of lines that are really, you know, but with you, it just flows real naturally. I certainly thank you. No, it's so for me too. It's it's just fascinating hearing your story, but also just hearing all of the commonalities. I tell people all the time: success leaves clues. Look for the clues, and then. Take those and use them as shortcuts. Go find mentors. Go find people like Gordon and ask them questions and don't make all the same stupid mistakes that we made. People like you and me want to help those people because somebody helped us. Yeah. You know, and if we, again, at the end of the day, you know, I think I should, most people don't know what Sam Walton's last words were. Look it up. Yeah. You know, when a man that was the richest man in the world and probably still would be if he hadn't divested and and, and spread his wealth among his kids, probably still would be when a man of that wealth, his last words were what? Just look it up. Yeah. It's we'll leave it at that. Let's leave it at that. Sam Walton's last words. But listen, my friend, we have more to talk about. So we got to do this again. It'll be a little while, everybody. After Accelerate in February. I appreciate um, it. Yeah, no, I appreciate you. Thank you so much for doing this. So everybody listening, I hope this was good. Hope this was valuable. We touched on a lot of stuff. We both got a little bit heated because obviously some of these things touch a nerve in us. We got passionate. Yeah, we get passionate, but it touches a nerve because we remember the pain. We remember the experience that we went through and we, we really you know, whatever we can do to help you not have to go through the pain and the, and the suffering that we did, boy, that would be that's definitely worth an hour of our, our time. So thank you so much, Gordon, for being back. And to everybody listening, by the way, if you've not gotten your Accelerate live tickets, what are you waiting for? 
gogetemaccelerateevent.com. And that's it. Until next time, this is Brian Kaskavalsian, and this is the Wealthy Contractor Podcast. Hope you enjoyed this week's episode. For insights on skyrocketing your home improvement business and accelerating your journey to the success, wealth, and freedom you've always dreamed about, be sure to get your free copy of my best-selling book, The Seven Secrets to Becoming a Wealthy Contractor at www.thewealthycontractor.com. And don't forget to follow us on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. See you next time.